0: You're back in the GOAT Zoom room. I'm Caitlin. This is Andy, and we are joined today by former trainer Jude Feld. And Jude, we're so happy to have you this week.
1: Well, thanks for inviting me. Uh, it's a pleasure.
2: I happen I happen to know Jude pretty well. I used to work for him, and uh, it was during the glory years of Veal Van and Slip whip. Slip with me and Uyadine and uh, Freya Stark and Kappelmeister, Steph Graf, a bunch of them. Uh, Robert Moreno was your owner at the time. And you also had the farm. Uh, what was it? Rancho Del Vista? Uh, Rancho, Rancho Santa San, San Francisco. Yeah. So he's got extensive knowledge. We're also alumnus of the same high school, LaSalle High School. But Jude didn't start out as a trainer. He started out as a handicapper. And I know that you have mentioned it a few times that you just have always loved the horses. Is it kind of like the same story as what uh, Gino and I did where we used to sneak away from from the school and go down to the racetrack and watch races instead of go to school?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I, I did not uh, get... Uh, an A in biology, not because I didn't get an A on all the tests, but it was after uh, the daily double. <laughs> <laughs> we, we'd go out, uh, myself and a couple friends of mine, and usually one of us would go into bed and make the doubles, and we'd watch from the fence at, at San Diego, you know, along the, the path there back to the barn area by the quarter pole. And we'd watch the races from there. And then if we were alive in the double, we'd stay. And if we weren't, then we'd go back to school. So I missed a lot of labs when I was in high school. But uh, the good news for me is uh, our vice principal liked to play the horses. And his wife didn't like him going to the track. So I'd get pink slips all the time in class. And they, mo- most people thought I was some kind of derelict, you know, because I was always going to the vice principal's office for something. And it was, are you going to the track today? Yes. Can you make a bet for me? Yes. (laughs) And And I got uh, a, so that was good.
2: I got an an A in econ because my econ professor was, or my econ teacher was, uh, used to work at Hollywood Park as as a ticket taker for the cars coming in. And so at Santa Anita, he would just say, hey, if you want to get an A, just go down to the racetrack and make bets for me and then come back. You don't have to come to my class. Just go to early bird. And I don't think I went to one of his classes. Uh, I, <laughs> I mean, feel so to left think out that I didn't go to do school. school.
1: <laughs> you didn't have <laughs> been
2: school? allowed. <laughs> it was an all boys school.
0: Oh, well, geez. Then I guess I don't feel as left out. So Jude, I know, obviously you started out with handicapping and kind of the bug bit you in school, like Andy. And I also know that you had Sten as an assistant, but like, why training?
1: Um, well, I always found it fascinating. Um, when when uh, my friend Alan Buchdahl, he was the track announcer at Sanita, and he got a job calling the races at River Downs in Ohio. And so um, he he lost his dad when he was young. His dad passed away and he lived with his mom and he'd never been away from home and he kind of didn't want to go by himself. And uh, he, he asked me if I would go with him. He knew I could cook a little bit too. I don't think that uh, hurt my chances any. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll go. So um, I pretty much sold everything and went to Ohio with Allen and we uh, had a place on a golf course there that Mr. Hoover uh, he owned part of the track and he set us up with a nice place and um, you know I, I was basically playing the horses for a living hanging around the press box and whatever and a, a job came up um, with the racing form to be a call taker at Ellis Park and I had never been to Ellis Park I didn't even know where it was it was you know uh, on the Indiana and um, Kentucky border and so I asked Alan by that time he'd gotten a girlfriend and everything was you know going good for him at River Downs and he felt comfortable I said would you mind if I took this job because it's a inroad into racing for me so I uh I went ahead and took the job Alan said that was great and he helped me go lease a car at the place where he'd got his car when, he, when we got there. And so I, I drove to Ellis Park and I, I started working for the racing form, And um, in the meantime, there was a racetrack softball league. And uh, some of the guys in the press box got a team together. And there was a trainer by the name of Doug Udodge, whose family was the leading breeders in Arkansas. And he was looking for a team to get on. And he had asked the stewards if he could be on their team, and they turned him down, which was a big mistake because um, he he played for the University of Arkansas. He was a pretty good baseball player, so um, we we took him on. And Doug and I got to be really good friends, and and used to hang out. And I asked him if I could come to the barn in the mornings and and do some work for him. So that's that's how I got started. I started working for. Doug and and uh, helping him out and was kind of combination hot walker and barn foreman and a little by little learned about horses and racing and from the backside of it. And uh, so that's that's really where I got my bug for training. We had this little filly. Her name was Galendi, and she was a little skinny ratty thing, you know, at Ellis Park in those days all the races were $2,500 claimers, and she had run terrible in her two starts, and Doug was kind of upset with her, and and I made a couple suggestions, and he said, well, why? if you're so smart, why don't you go ahead and train her? (laughs) So so I took her over and started messing around with her a little bit, and and got her feeling good, and put this 10-pound bug on her one day, and she was uh, like 99 to one, and I had all the daily double tickets going with her. Um, I, I had w- wheeled her with all the horses in the first race, and, and she was in the second. And the only daily double tickets alive were mine. And um, I don't remember what the pool was, but it was going to be a lot of money if she won. She finished second. And um, that, that was a it was a big thrill, but it was also a disappointment because I thought – Man, if I could make like five or six grand, I could claim a couple horses and you know really be rolling. But it it, it didn't work out. But but once I trained Galindi a little bit and got her to run so well, I thought you know I have a knack for it, and and uh, it never left me after that.
0: Seems like so many of the big names kind of got started in either New Mexico or Ohio. Was there anybody else of merit other than yourself that was kind of in that same area, running in the same circles?
1: Um, not not really. I mean, most of the you know Ellis Parks in Kentucky, and most of the trainers there were either local farmers who, um, you know, trained during the summer just when Ellis Park was open. We used to have a lot of horses that came off a of long layoffs because when, when the track would close on Labor Day, then the horses would just go home and eat grass until they decided it was uh, warm enough to start training them again when the track would unfreeze and and they'd, uh, they'd start them galloping. So a lot of times it took horses a start or two to get the rust off and get a little fit. Because they were mainly just galloping around fields on the farm, and then the Kentucky trainers that came in, they you know they had the the best horses and and uh, you know had a had a big edge, but all the horses were were kind of cheap. So you know that they, they had twenty five hundred dollar claimers, but there was numbers of one, numbers of two, all the way up to numbers of five, um, but it didn't show in the form. It just said twenty five hundred dollars. So that's how I used to make money gambling was keeping track of what the class of the races actually were and knowing when a trainer would put a horse that hadn't won a race in a couple of years in a non-owners of five and they'd get beat a hundred miles and then he'd leg them up and put them in a non-owners of one, and the horse would win for fun and pay $30. So it was a, it was a nice gig if you could arrange it, but there were, there weren't many of us doing things like that. So, um, I actually was making more money gambling than I was working for the racing form. And it was a very good check I was getting from the racing form. So it was, it was, uh, I always consider it the best summer of my life, 1978. It's all been downhill since then.
2: <laughs> you, know, so one, when, go ahead. The, you know, the one thing, the one thing that's kind of changed is, is the way that, they write races nowadays, right? It's now it's now a little easier to, to figure out who's a non-winners of two or anything like that. I kind of like what Woodbine does to some extent where they run a optional claimer for 40 but it's actually a non-winners of two lifetime. But unless you, you understand the entire condition um, you can find prices there. Do you think that with all the technology that's going on right now with horse racing is that what's the way to get an edge for for people who who bet every day
1: well it's hard because all the information is available in those days you know not only was the class just the same 2,500 for every race but there was no trainer stats you didn't know if a guy was good with first-time starters you had to keep track of that stuff yourself and if you did that you, you did have an edge. But nowadays, everybody has the same information. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, really good information floating around and companies that provide it. So it, it's hard to, you know, make a difference. Uh, when, when I go down to Barbados, I have an edge because I make my own speed figures for Barbados. And if you've ever seen the form in Barbados, it's not even close to what we have here there's no points of call or anything. It's, you know, it's where the horse finished and the beaten links and whatever. But I go down there with my speed figures and, and, uh, I actually took down the whole pick four pool one day. Um, and, uh, I've, I've played, i played the pick four three on three different trips. They race every other Saturday. So you only get to go to the races once usually, but I I've played the pick four three times and, and one, two of them. So, uh, with my speed figures, so it's uh, you know when when you can find places like that where there's no information, that that's what really helps you.
2: Yeah, that's that's one of the things I like about Dubai is unless you follow it religiously, and unless you know the horses, and unless you know how they do the class ratings, you can make a ton of money just by watching races, which. Which a lot of people don't do nowadays because it's so time consuming. And that's what I tell people to do is just watch races. The more races they, they run, the better or more races they watch. And as you know, you know, with with me being friends with Lori Goulis, we would have to watch races all the time because she was trying to perfect being a jockey. So it was non-stop watching races and learning little intricacies and watching how the hands are on a horse during a race to see whether or not it's live or not. And I think that's a lost art.
1: Yeah, I I think, I think you're right. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that use video. Now I have a friend who's a professional gambler and he pays a lot of attention to Hong Kong and, and tries to find some discrepancies with his figures for Hong Kong and the trips horses have. Um, and I'm sure there's plenty of sophisticated batters there, but he feels like he has a little bit of an edge, and he lives in Great Britain, so he can uh, get maybe a little bit better prices sometimes than the Hong Kong ride. So
2: let's let's talk about let's talk about you know your stable. Uh, arguably, VL Vin is probably the best horse you trained. Um, well, it depends
1: on what your criteria is. I mean, she, she was a good Philly and she won a grade two for me. She, she made a half a million dollars. So I would, I would say, you know, by some measures of success, she was probably, you know, the best. Um, but I always consider ready to order the best, the best horse uh, probably that, that I ever trained. And maybe that's because I'm so proud of him because I trained his mother, I trained his father, you know, I bred him, fold him, broke him, trained him. He made $300,000, and he beat Cavaneer twice, which uh, still irritates Bob Baffert now. And <laughs> uh,
2: not,
1: not a big fan of Ready to Order, but, uh, but in any case, the Ready to Order unfortunately didn't make the derby that year because he stepped on a shoe that some horse had thrown on the training track and bruised his foot badly, so um, I didn't get to run him in the Kentucky Derby, and I was screaming for Cavineer to win that race, but unfortunately he came ahead shy of of winning, but uh, I did win the Derby with him. He won the Pomona Derby, so not quite (laughs) the same.
0: So I was going to ask for sure, when it comes to the horses that were in your barn when you trained, um, I was going to ask which one, whether they were the best, the worst, or in the middle, which one meant the most to you. So you kind of already answered my question.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, I would say re- ready to order. You know, I, I only I only have two pictures of courses that I trained actually hanging in, in my house. Ready ready to order is one. And it's it's a picture where he's beating Cavanier, of course. And then uh, the other one is my first hundred grander winner a horse called pewter gray that um he won my first hundred grander my first uh graded race the sierra nevada handicap at sammy so uh, the, those are the two that that hang in the house what what did the sierra nevada turn into uh it's, it's no longer run it was the turf uh version of the stroob station the four-year-olds on the turf but um, they, they just continued a long time. That's a bummer. I yeah.
2: Mean, there, there's so many good races that are no longer around. And Bay Meadows is a place that I always loved going to. And they're no longer around, Hollywood Park. Um, I forgot who I was telling this story to, but I remember when Veal Vin won the Chula Vista. And the party that was going on in the Winter Circle was incredible. <laughs> But yeah. the funniest part was is watching um, MC Hammer and the shock in his face that he lost that race <laughs> and his entourage just sitting there trying to figure out what happened because it was like, what would you guys do?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because I had, um, I had her in and, and the same day was uh, the Beverly D at Arlington Park and I had a Philly in that race lock all dude, who you may remember. And uh, Mr. Burrell, MC Hammer's dad, came into Tom Canoose's office and he said, uh, Tommy, the boys want to bet some exactas I need to cash a check. And, and, and Tom said, OK, Mr. Burrell, how much do you want? And he said, I don't know, fifteen or 20000 And And I just kind of <laughs> cracked up to myself because I'm thinking they have no idea that I'm going to win this race. <laughs> and i i really thought i was going to win i never you know me andy i, I never popped off about horses ever you know but the wednesday before i think it it was either jay privman or jay Hovey. i can't remember who it was but
0: some jay <laughs>
1: some J, one of the Jays, yeah came and interviewed me and i basically said on wednesday before the saturday race that Bealvin was going to win the Chula Vista. Now, we had light, light, and brought to mind arguably the two best fillies in training in the United States at the time. And my
2: Fantastic Phillies Light. So good. What's that? And Fantastic Light.
1: Uh, light, no. light.
2: No, Fantastic oh, Light. Oh, Fantastic Light. Was she in there yeah. too?
1: Yeah. Um, so it was uh, – you know, it was a really tough race, but my filly was doing good. She'd won the Baya Coast Stakes, which was the prep, and um, you know, later on they they uh, they named a uh, prep race for Veal Vin, um, which is also discontinued now. <laughs> but in any case, um, you know, I, I love my filly. I think she paid like forty three dollars that day, and and um,
2: there's all got fill- rich.
1: What's that? <laughs> We all got rich. Yeah. (laughs) There's actually a film that Dick Gason's uh, longtime companion had videoed. And she caught MC Hammer looking at me as I'm signing an autograph for somebody. Somebody asked me to sign their program. And MC Hammer's looking like, who is this guy and why is he signing an autograph? I'm standing here (laughs) in my suspenders doing nothing. Right. He was like totally mortified by the whole thing. And it's really kind of a funny piece of video, which I haven't seen probably in 30 years. I was,
2: uh, what, were, what were they? Horse racing abroad? Horse racing group? abroad yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you, now, what made you decide to stop training? Because I know, I know how much you love training. I mean, I, there, I was a, there I, wasn't a trainer that, that I worked for that was always so jovial and happy to be at the track?
1: Well, I, I couldn't wait to get there. I mean, I got up every morning at 4.30. I got dressed quietly, so I didn't wake up anybody in the house, got in my truck and drove to Sanita, made the coffee when I got to the barn so the boys could have their coffee when they came in. I usually beat most of the grooms there. Um, you know, I, I, I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. But, um, you know, sometimes life gets in the way. I ended up getting a divorce. And uh, my kid's mom moved to Florida. And so I was like Mr. Mom and and trying to, you know, go to all the ball games and do all that stuff. And and keep everything afloat. And I would, like, leave the barn at 7 o'clock to go pick up the kids and take them to school and then come back. And, you know, clients don't like that. They, they feel like they're getting shortchanged and all that stuff. So, you know, the, the best thing for me to do was, was uh, retire. And, and I did, I, uh, that was the year 2000. I, I quit training and um, I, I went to work for a, a company who called StableGate that was doing really, really well. Um, But uh, the vice president absconded with all the funds. So all of our um, shares in the company and stuff, you know, were liquidated (laughs) down to zero. And a friend of mine had gotten offered a job at Keelan to do the barn notes. And um, she was unable to, do it. She was in the real estate business and she she didn't want to give that up and uh, she recommended me and uh, so I applied for the job and ended up getting the job. Uh, Jim Williams, who was the director of uh, publicity at the time, hired me to do the barn notes and uh, it, that turned into a 13-year gig in Kentucky. So,
2: And now, now the association you have with Keeneland is through HRRN which is a horse racing radio network, which I listen to religiously when I'm in the car, if I can (laughs) find it on XM. And are you, did I misread you someday? And you said something about being a tour guide at Keeneland.
1: Oh, I, I, I've done a lot of different things at Keeneland over the 13 years. I actually wrote a walking tour for Keeneland. Um, At one time they thought instead of having tour guides on call they would have like a museum where you have the little headset and you go from station to station and and i wrote a a a tour for uh keeneland that they were going to use and it it never came to fruition the lady that was in charge of it changed jobs and it's probably sitting around in some desk drawer over at keeneland but um the 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 jobs at Keelan for the tour guides it's usually a live person or nearly alive and um, (laughs) they walk around and and explain all the nuances of of the track and how it was built in different sections and all that stuff um that was in my walking tour um it's uh, it's a great tour if you ever have a chance to to take it. It's a very enjoyable way to spend a little time.
2: I always I always heard it because you know when I'm clocking horses at Keeneland when I was working with Bruno I used to hear them all the time. So anything near the winter circle I probably memorized. There you go, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so that was always funny to to watch them. Just all the people that come on. So on the weekends it's just amazing um but i was gonna say you know i i tour guide over at old friends when i'm out there i absolutely love that place um and i got in because i said i knew you which was really good (laughs) (laughs)
0: michael
1: michael's a good guy it's it's one of my favorite charities I've, i've actually won a couple of uh handicapping contests where where he's uh been the beneficiary of it. I love going there too. It's it's a it's a really fun place to be and of course Michael makes it so enjoyable to to be there. So
0: Who's your favorite horse there?
1: Uh got to be Silver Charm. I hate to be <laughs> such a, a chalk player, but I mean he's really cool and when you think of all the things that he's done and um you know, it, it was really great. I I got to take his old exercise girl out there a few years ago she came to the sale at keeneland to buy some horses and and uh we we went out there and and he recognized her which was really fantastic and uh yeah he was he was quite excited to hear her voice and see her you know so that 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 was that was a very uh touching moment
2: he's he's uh he is definitely one of those horses that when you're around it he around him He lets you know where you stand. Um, He remembers everything. He can hold a grudge because I've been the recipient of the grudge holding. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I mean, my personal favorite there, and I grew to love him so much, was War Emblem. Um, Because when you did tours, when he started figuring out how good people were to him and who the people understood him he was a little more open to allowing you to be closer to him without trying to kill you
1: yeah he was meaner um, than
2: not. I, I
1: saw him attack a guy one day that you know Michael told this guy do not stand close to the fence and the guy like kept backing up towards the fence and I'm thinking don't go there don't go there and all of a sudden here he comes <clears throat> got him <laughs> it, it was kind of funny but it was kind of sad too scared the guy half to death
0: I I think my favorite Go ahead I was going to say I think my favorite was it was a time my mom and I went to old friends she and I have been a couple of times Um, they told them not to do the same thing to Srava to not back up on him he wasn't mean but he would bite if he needed to I saw him grab somebody by the ponytail Mm -hmm. so if they tell you not to back up um, it's probably a reason for it
2: (laughs) Yeah. yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like Jude telling you, "Don't get near Tokyo Rose. She cannot be trusted." Oh, Jude, I know what I'm doing. I'm gonna walk right near her and then end up almost losing an eye because of it. Yeah.
0: Did she have a cone? Uh,
1: no, I don't think she had a cone. Everybody just you know, she had a pillow, so <laughs>
2: every, everybody just kind of walked around the stall. Yeah. yeah, she was pretty mean. She was probably the meanest horse I've ever been around.
1: Yeah, we didn't have too many mean ones, but the ones that were mean were really mean. She was She was one of them. She was aptly named, I always say.
2: <laughs> what, like, what do you feel needs to change for horse racing to gain attraction um, uh, for the younger audience?
1: Well, for me,
2: it was always the horses.
1: And I think if you talk to almost. Anybody in racing, that's what attracts them, is the horses. You know, growing up in L.A., I didn't have a chance to see very many horses. The only time I could see a horse was at the track, basically. My mom had a friend who had a ranch out in La Verne, and once a year I would get to go out there, and, and her daughters would take me on a horseback ride, and that was like dying going to heaven for me. But the rest of the time... I would hang out by the paddock when I was a kid and and watch the trainer's saddle and look at the horse's legs and and make notes in my program of what equipment they were wearing and all that. I, I just love to be around the horses. And, and I think the horses have to be the center of it, not the gambling, but the horses. And And unfortunately, I think right now we're in a mode where gambling is the most important thing to a lot of people. I mean, we got people betting on class C tracks on Mondays and Tuesdays because they're bored. But I think if we could get more people out in seeing the horses and appreciating the animals and what they look like and what they can do, I think that would grow the sport a lot more than gambling.
0: Well, I want to ask you a couple of fun questions because We're trying to have fun here. So back in the day, who was your go-to writer?
1: Um, well, I, I trained a lot for Michael house and he, uh, he was very adamant. He wanted Stevens or Della Anybody else was chopped liver. And (laughs) I got, you know, Eddie, Eddie wrote a lot for me when I first started out and, um, I remember the second race I rode shoemaker wrote, rode a horse for me that one. And Eddie came up to me after the race and he was kind of mad because he won my first race for me. And he came up and he goes, how come you didn't put me on that horse? And I said, well, I asked your agent for the call, but he told me you had to ride this other horse and his agent comes walking down and he starts chewing out Craig O'Brien. He goes, if Jude asked you to ride a horse, you ride it. <laughs> he's like, and he's sticking up for me, which I, I was very touched by the whole thing. But, you know, Delahousie and Stevens were, were pretty much my guys. I bet I had other jocks Joe Steiner, uh, gave him his first mount, his first winner. We've been friends since he was 16 years old. He was working for Johnny Longton. He worked a horse for me one morning um, that I had claimed uh, and Charlie Whittingham, I'm walking in the track, it's really early, and Charlie Whittingham says to me, do you have anything to work today? And I said, yeah, I've got this horse, I want to work a mile. And he goes, well, they're going to open the track for me at 5 o'clock, and then they're going to close it right back up again, because it was pouring down rain. And um, they had sealed the track, and so I went and got Joe out of bed. He was living in the tack room at Johnny Longdon's barn, and I got him out of bed, and I, I said, listen, I need to work a horse a mile. And we need to be at the gate at five o'clock. <laughs> you know, Joe, all happy, all like he always was. He said, "Okay, I'll get dressed." And he was, he was at my barn in like five minutes. Pretty much ran over to the barn, and we went out there. We were there when when they opened up the gates. Perot was working, um, and I can't remember who the other horse was of Charlie's. But anyway, we went out there. We worked a mile. We worked we worked a mile in one thirty six and three. And we're walking back to the barn and Joe says to me, boy, that was fun. He goes, I've never worked a horse a mile before. <laughs> and I was shocked. I mean, I, I didn't know. So uh, anyway, that horse ended up winning. Um, I only ran him one time. Mike Mitchell claimed him. Me. I, I, I had claimed him. He won. Mike Mitchell claimed him. Me. But uh, anyway, you know, I like to use people that would help me. Um, people that would come by and work horses in the morning and get to know the horses and know their idiosyncrasies and stuff. Um, I I used a lot of apprentice riders. I started a lot of people. Had a lot of people rode their first races for me, and um, I I had a lot of girls that used to ride for me when that wasn't particularly popular, but. Um, I I never really cared. I had a small stable, and I was lucky in that I could pretty much do what I wanted to do. I didn't have to listen to a lot of guff from people. So, um, but I I like to use a lot of different writers. I used I used a ton of them.
2: Marty so. was one.
1: Yeah, Mar- <laughs> Marty Mar-
2: Laurie. Um, you have Susan Ditter who who worked for you when I was there. Now she's a trainer in Florida.
1: Yeah, she so, went to being a jockey after she worked for me for a while, but um, but she wised up and became a trainer. <laughs> <laughs> she's been doing so, good, Susan. She's been doing really good. She's a good. So person. if you were
0: still, if you were still training, what jockey would cut? Would you consider being one of your go-to's if you were still training now?
1: John Velasquez, no question. I, I would I would become like Mr. House. If it's not Johnny B, I don't want anybody else. Um, but but yeah, Johnny Johnny Velasquez. I have the utmost respect for him. He's so good and puts his horses in great spots. You hardly ever see him get in trouble. I mean, it's like you know, send out a media notice if he got a horse in trouble. I mean, the the guy's unbelievably talented. I'm warming up to. I rat ortiz a little bit but who isn't i mean the guys a free i also i also like flavian pratt i think he's a difference maker on a horse um, he he really is a good rider he's got a great clock in his head he's really smart he's another one that doesn't often get a horse in trouble but um, for me it's johnny me
2: so just a couple just a couple more questions and then we'll let you go for the evening um, you know, do you wanna talk a little bit about the pontiff site? Uh, Pope Jude, get some people over there. So uh for big weekends like this weekend and Sam Davis?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, Pope Jude's a, a report. I usually put it out on the weekends. It's more for people who like to go to the races on the weekends. I don't I don't do it every day. Once in a while somebody will wanna <laughs> Opening day of Keeneland or something. I'll do special requests, <laughs> but most of the time it's on the weekends. And we've we've got a really nice report for this weekend, go, the Derby preps and and uh, you know some of the stakes and a lot of the turf races that are coming up. So uh, the weather's supposed to be pretty good at most places that are uh, top class racing this weekend. So we're in good shape.
2: And. I, the last question obviously is going to have to do with horse racing radio network. Where can people find it, and when are you usually on? And uh, I know that Anthony Stabile's part of it, Michael Penn is part of it. Um, if I'm missing anybody, I apologize ahead of time.
1: Well, Mike, Mike's the president of the company, and um, you know it's, it's been his baby for I don't know, getting close to 20 years now, I believe. Um, Anthony Stabile works. The, during the week with Bobby Newman, um, who used to be the race caller at Calder race course. Um, I, I'm not on on a regular basis, although that may change soon. I may be on uh, a little segment uh, on Saturdays coming up, but we haven't worked out all the details yet. Uh, but, uh, you know, I do I do some uh, – of the lead in shows. I do a lot of the early, early, early morning stuff because nobody else likes to get up like I do. I still wake up early in the morning, even though I don't train horses anymore. But I do like the Kentucky Derby lead in shows and the Breeders' Cup lead in shows that, that start early in the morning. Um, that, that's really what my main function is. And then I do a lot of writing. I write write the feature pieces that, that we do for the race broadcasts and that kind of
2: well, we thank you for your time. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you for for taking a chance on me and dealing with my pain in the behind, walking to you every morning and asking you for a job when I wanted one. Um, well, but that's really what did it. I, I always tell people you were you were so tenacious.
1: You know, you came to the barn. Every morning looking for a job. And finally I said, I gotta hire this guy. He's here every morning. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I've got I've had a lot of employees in my life that haven't you, you were great. We we had a good time and, and you were a big
2: part of what we did.
1: So yeah, I appreciate your efforts.
2: And I'm glad that we've managed to stay friends all this time. And I, I owe you a Jeff Ruby steak when I come out there in march or april sounds good
1: i'm I'm there too
2: too. great great to
1: meet you by the way yes really been fun
0: this is one of the most fun i've had on one of our shows yet so this has been great
1: well that's good that means you'll probably
2: have me back
0: i can can have you
2: back every week (laughs) (laughs) thanks a lot jude i really appreciate it all right thank you
1: guys Have a good night.
2: Good night. That was Jude Feld of horse racing radio network and uh, the Pope Jude report, former trainer. And uh, we will be back next week when uh, we have Michael Adolfson from Dubai coming on to discuss the Saudi cup and also super Saturday uh, for Dubai. And get some of the runners there for that. So that should be a very, very fun and exciting time for us. I'm ready. All right. And you've been listening to the goat room or goat zoom room. And if you want any other information, you can always go to G E E O H A Y E T E e handicapping.com for your latest information in regards to international racing and anything going on at Sam Houston race park. Thanks for listening and have a good night.